Well, one of the most ubiquitous questions that people have is, where do I go for help? Whether that's navigating a a new computer program or a brand new video game, whether it's learning your way around a new job or seeking answers to questions you might have about your auto or home insurance policy. Um, We want to know, where do we go to get the help we need? And life's like that, because we all need a lot of help in a lot of areas. In our marriage, raising our children, managing our money, overcoming a besetting sin or a habit or addiction, letting go of our past hurts, or mapping out a preferable future and the choices necessary for that to happen. You know, in today's 46th Super Bowl, uh, either the Patriots or the Giants are going to be crying out for help by about the end of the fourth quarter. Everybody needs help. Well, last week we launched a brand new series of sermons that, that, that we're titling, Do You Need Help? Discovering the Person and Work of the Holy Spirit, Our Helper. And we're seeing at the core that God the Father loves us and wants to help us in every way. The Holy Spirit is fully, completely God, and we learned that unlike in the Old Testament era, where God localized his presence first in the tabernacle or the tent in the wilderness, and then later in the temple in the promised land, that today God's personal and empowering presence comes to fill all his children through the Holy Spirit. And then today we're going to begin answering the question, well, then what does the Holy Spirit do? And we're going to discover that the Holy Spirit actually transforms and empowers us as God's already not yet kingdom people. So let's pray before we look to the word. Lord, we are grateful for this brand new, beautiful day. And we say, good morning, Lord. Thank you for life and breath, soundness of mind and reasonable health of body that enables us to be here with our family and our friends. We say thank you. These are gifts that we do not take for granted. And so, Lord, we we now welcome you among us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would uh, put power on your word to our lives as we attend to it, as we give, as we worship, as we pray and that we could continually grow to become the people you want us to be. Lord, we we welcome you as the unseen but powerful guest in your name. Amen. So Mrs. Bailey asked her fifth grade English class, what's a metaphor? Little Eric raised his hand quickly to say, that's what you keep the cows in. (laughs) Well, not actually, Eric. It's a figure of speech that's used to indicate relationship, to indicate comparison, where one thing is used to represent another. For for example, if I were to say this morning that Super Bowl Sunday is really a national holiday, you would implicitly understand that actually it's not a national holiday, but uh, it may function as one by comparison because of of what happens today. People do the things today that people do on holidays. They take a day off from work, they hang out with friends, they watch football, and they eat and drink way too much. And that's what uh, that's what uh, they do. So there are a number of metaphors that we use for the church. Uh, one, it's an army. 
because we have a mission uh, to advance the kingdom into territory that's actually occupied by a real adversary. We are also a family because we're brothers and sisters uh, who share a similar heritage in Jesus. We, We are a school because we teach and train and equip God's people to live life and do ministry. Uh, the church is also a hospital because we care for the sick and wounded and we n- nurture them back to health. And we are a community. Communities are diverse groups of people that are knit together by uh, a compelling vision and shared values and a common culture and, and real friendship. And so we are a community. And all of this is made possible by the person of the Holy Spirit. His purpose is to manifest the presence of God in and through us in the world today. Heaven and earth now meet in us, no longer a tent in the wilderness or a temple in the promised land. We are the place where God dwells. And the Holy Spirit enables us to first become and then to live as God's army, as his family, as his school, as his hospital, and as his community. So, The church is to live as a kingdom community, a group of already not yet people. That is, we're we're met by God to to live as an end-time community in uh, in whom he lives. We we live here in the now, in the present, with with a, uh, a stamp on our lives of eternity. In the present, stamped with eternity. You see, Jesus came into what he called This present age, bringing the gifts and blessings and power of the age to come. For for illustration, uh, to illustrate his usage of these terms, I'm I'm, uh, referring you to Mark chapter 10, verses 29 to 30. The text will be on the screen. Where Jesus replied, No one's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel, but will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And so here Jesus illustrates this dynamic difference between the present age, the Apostle Paul calls it the present evil age in Galatians 1.14, and the age to come, or Paul often called it the one to come. So Jesus used this distinction, and his early disciples saw themselves as living in the end of this present evil age. Uh, for instance, that's why when the Holy Spirit was first poured out on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up to preach his first sermon, and he quotes from the prophet Joel, saying, in these last days. So he was speaking to an audience who embraced the notion that they were living in the end of this present age, or the present evil age. However, they also recognize that that uh, this time of the, the end of the ages, the last days, had just begun. It wouldn't be completed until the resurrection was complete, when they, like Jesus, would receive a transformed and glorified body. And that would happen at the end uh, of the age, when Jesus the Messiah would, would come again. His resurrection marked, as it were, the beginning of the end of time the end of this present evil age. And it marked the dawn of the new age, the age to come. And so we now as believers 
even though it's several thousand years later, we now live between the times of the inauguration of God's kingdom in the first advent of Christ and its completion at his second coming, an absolutely unique time in human history. And in this between the times, the age to come, the kingdom, has already begun, but it's not yet fully here. And so we live as already not yet people filled with the very presence of God himself in the Holy Spirit, and it's to determine everything about us. For instance, how we think, how we live, how we talk, the decisions we make, how we understand our place in this world. The kingdom's already here, but it's not yet all the way here in the way that it will be when Jesus returns. And living as already not yet people is to be determined by the Holy Spirit. He is to form and shape everything about our lives. I like to think about it this way. Everything that God does in and through the church, the end-time community of already not yet people, everything that God does in and through the church is made possible because of the Holy Spirit. If we are transformed and empowered in any way, it is because of the person of the Holy Spirit. We could say it this way. All the help we ever receive is because of the Holy Spirit. Paul framed it this way in 2 Corinthians 3.18. As the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him, Jesus, every day. And so if there's any work of growing to become like Christ, it's because the Holy Spirit is there. He is the agent of the Godhead that's at work in the earth today. And so the coming of the Holy Spirit means that the living God is indeed here among us, and he's here to help. So what does he do specifically? What kind of help does the Holy Spirit bring? Well, uh, I provided a snapshot of his work in your program that list that some of you may be uh, interested in studying through in the balance of the next uh, uh, week or two. But uh, this is just a, a, a glimpse in the Old and New Testament of the kinds of things the Holy Spirit does. Uh, I thought it might be interesting to, to help, in some ways, demystify the work of the Holy Spirit and to remove some of our fear. Because so many times uh, uh, people kind of think, well, all the Holy Spirit really is given credit for is like for people speaking in tongues. Well, that's such a diminished view of the person and work of the Holy Spirit, as, as this snapshot in your program will show you. I like to think, though, that in a, in a broader, more sweeping summary, his work can be summed up as transformation and empowering. And his work of transformation is primarily twofold. First is that um, he helps us uh, become children of God. That's the first work of transformation. Now, while we may not have been aware of it, our entire spiritual journey of coming back to God, to whom we belong and to whom we matter, 2 Corinthians 3, 18 to 21, where God gives us this ministry of reconciliation, calling people to come back to God. So our journey of coming back to God, as, as many and as varied as, as all of ours are, and some of us are still on that process, all of that has been orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. That's his job. The fact that we're able to hear and understand and respond to the gospel is attributed to the Holy Spirit. 
because the gospel is demonstrated and, and proclaimed in all of its various forms in the power of the Holy Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 1.5. You're able to understand and respond to the gospel because of the Holy Spirit, uh, John 16.8-9. And when we embrace the gospel, then we are made new by the Holy Spirit. Let's let's take a look at a, a text that kind of teaches us this in John's Gospel, the third chapter. It's a famous story where Jesus is talking to one of the leaders, teachers of, of the law named Nicodemus. We're going to see how uh, Jesus himself illustrates this very principle that uh, the first work of transformation the Holy Spirit does is making us his child. In verse 3 of chapter 3, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, You cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So the water and the Spirit of verse 5 in this text are explained in verse 6 as human birth, which is accompanied by water, has nothing to do with water baptism, friends. Human birth is accompanied by water, and so the, the, the born of water of verse 5 is the human birth of verse 6, and the spiritual birth being born of the Spirit, which is to be literally born from above, is how it reads in the original language, or born a second time, or born again. So to be born again is to experience a new birth, a spiritual birth having been given birth by the Holy Spirit. And and Jesus puts a, an exclamation point on the discussion by saying, to be born again is to experience a new birth, and it's beyond your comprehension. It's a mystery. In the same way, you can't figure out like how the wind moves and makes trees. You can see it's evidence, but you don't really totally understand where it comes from or where it goes. So don't try to figure it all out, because spiritual birth is a mystery. And so we receive this new birth and new life from the Holy Spirit. Paul says that frequently in, in his uh, letters, Titus 3, 4 to 6, is a, is a powerful attestation in his pastoral epistles. So he makes us children of God. Now, when we're born physically, we're born into a family, right? Um, when we're born spiritually, we're born into the family of God. And while all men and women are created by God, He is not their Father. It's only those spiritually who believe in Christ and experience the birth from above that actually become children of God. Jesus tells us that in His Gospel in John, the very first chapter, when He said in verse 12 and 13, All who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. They're reborn, not with a physical birth resulting uh, from human passion or plan, but with a birth that comes from God. And so here the gospel writer is indicating again that that one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit is to give us a birth, a spiritual birth, when we believe and receive and surrender to Christ. And at that moment, we move from being created by God to being God's son or daughter, his child. Now, in becoming a child of God, 
we receive the Holy Spirit's help. Uh, just for instance, uh, quickly, we receive total, immediate, and personal access to God as the sin barrier between us and Him is, is broken. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. We receive complete forgiveness of all of our sin. Colossians 1, 13 to 14. We're adopted into His family. We become an heir of God. And we're now allowed to share in the deepest, most intimate relationship, able to call Him our Father, Papa, Daddy. Galatians 4, 5 to 7. And Romans, the, the 8th chapter, verses 14 to 17, teaches that. And at that moment, we are baptized into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says this, For we're all baptized by one Spirit to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're all given the one Spirit to drink. And so all people in the family of God, in the church, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, rich or poor, educated, uneducated alike, we are immersed or baptized into the body of Christ by the Spirit. This is the original baptism by the Holy Spirit. We are immersed by the Spirit into the body of Christ at our conversion. So in the new birth, when we become children of God, we are invaded by the life-giving Spirit of God. We're given the Spirit to drink. Every single one, every person that ever enters the body of Christ, experiences new birth, a birth from the Spirit, is invaded by the life-changing Spirit of God. That's revolutionary, radical news. We now have the Holy Spirit living inside. A radical change takes place. It's God's personal powerful, continual indwelling presence that now comes to take up residence in our heart, enables us to grow and change, to speak the words, do the works, and live the life uh, of a Christian. God never imagined that we would try to live the Christian life on our own strength or power or resources, you know, struggling to overcome sin and resist temptation and obey all the rules on our own strength. That's completely foreign to his mind. He rather comes to take up residence in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit, and enables us to become like Him. And so becoming a child of God is is not that we're simply given a new objective or legal standing before God. Same old person, but, you know, forgiven or justified, to use a biblical language. Not at all. Uh, to, to, To become a child of God means we are transformed into someone new. Paul says, a species that literally did not exist before. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation, something that didn't exist. So we're actually made new. And, And of course, all of this, as we're seeing, is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. Friends, that's pretty good help. (laughs) So, just remind you, everything that God does in and through us is made possible by the Holy Spirit. And this first work of transformation is that he makes us children of God. The second thing, the second work of transformation is that he actually causes us to grow and mature. Now, we all know that uh, being born, that, that birth, is not just like the climax of gestation. It's That's not the end. Birth is really what? Just a beginning, right? The beginning of a brand new life. That's what 
you know, thrills us so much with, with a baby is that they're filled with such incredible hope and promise. They, they speak of potential and growth. And so, likewise, when we are born as spiritual babies, we now enter a brand new life. And this metaphor of being born as a baby and then growing to maturity through childhood and adolescence is a, is a metaphor that many of the gospel and, and, and writers and, and other authors in the New Testament use to illustrate this process of the Holy Spirit causing us to grow and mature, His transforming work. And just as every child needs certain things to grow, so the believer needs help in a number of areas to grow and mature. For instance, we grow and mature as the Holy Spirit helps us understand and apply God's Word. Now, the Bible is the foundational vehicle for building and maintaining an intimate relationship with the Lord. It enables us to know Him and to be equipped for service. It, it was never given merely to inform us, but rather to form us and shape us, uh, to lead us to, to actually know God and to see His work uh, come to, to pass in our lives. It was never given to us just so we could study it and memorize, uh, you know, the, the names of the books and, and understand Paul's three missionary journeys and get a time map. And that there's value in that. But, but if that's where it stops, then we fall short of the primary purpose for which it was given. Ultimately, we will never understand and be able to apply the Bible, however, without the person of the Holy Spirit helping us. Jesus himself told us this, John 14, 26. He said, but the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. John 16, 13, Jesus went on to say, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And the apostle Paul framed it with these words in Ephesians 1, 17 to 18. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And so the thought remains that uh, the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to enable us to actually understand and apply God's word to our lives. And so, friends, before we plunge headlong into Bible reading or Bible study, before we go to small group, before you sit down to read a, a Christian blog or a, a book, before you even gather together on Sunday mornings for the purposes of preaching and worship, let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come and teach us and instruct us and direct us and give us wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him so that we could go know God better, so that this Word can be applied to our lives. And that's why, why I will often pray, like, Lord, put power on Your Word to our lives because it's the Holy Spirit's job to teach us what we need to know. In my 38 years as a Christ follower, I would say with with a measure of conviction that God has most consistently caused me to grow as I understand and apply and obey the Bible. That's the way it's worked for me. Um, and just for illustration purposes, in the last several years of our life, in the process of praying for God's direction in this new season uh, of our lives, uh, the Lord used several powerful scriptures 
texts from the Bible on on a certain day in our daily Bible reading, uh, and when we began to understand and apply them by the Holy Spirit's help, they made us grow. For instance, um, there's a text in um, uh, Psalm 32, 8, where the psalmist says, uh, as speaking on behalf of, of the Lord, I will instruct you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. And so that that verse, that promise from the Bible, was incredibly powerful, reaffirming to us that that God is good and that He knows the best direction for our lives. And another text that, that caused us to grow is Psalm 66, 9, where the psalmist says, Our lives are in your hands. And so God used that verse to cause us uh, to grow in our ability to trust Him that he would provide as we followed his direction. Two very powerful promises that when they were understood and applied and and actually obeyed in our lives, they caused us to grow. So we grow and mature as he helps us understand and apply God's word. We grow and mature as he helps us pray. Now, we all know that for any relationship to be vital, there's got to be communication, right? Right? Any of you like ever suffer the cold shoulder treatment? Uh, I'm not indicating that I have, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know that whether it's with a good friend or a, uh, an in-law, a relative, a roommate, uh, a, a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, that in order for relationships to grow and thrive and develop, there has to be communication, right? Well, prayer is the way that we commune with God, that we direct our thoughts and aspirations to Him, and we hear from Him. And without the Holy Spirit, we all know that prayer can quickly degenerate into a meaningless religious ritual. Jesus acknowledged that when He said, don't let prayer become like this in Matthew 6. But with the Holy Spirit's help regarding prayer, we can actually be effective. Romans 8, 26, the Spirit will pray on our behalf and energize our prayer. With the Holy Spirit's help, we can be consistent. 1 Thessalonians 5, we can pray always or regularly. And thirdly, with the Holy Spirit's help, we can be refreshed in our prayer. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20, where we can sing and make melody in our hearts and connect with God through worship, and, and we'll actually be uh, encouraged. And so with the Holy Spirit's help, we can be effective and consistent and refreshed in our prayer. We grow and mature as He helps us bear good fruit. Another transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we watch babies grow, isn't it amazing how often they begin to look like both their parents? Sometimes a little lopsidedly, look a little more like mom or dad, but you know, you can see both mom and dad in the kids. What's really scary is when you get to be about my age and you realize you're still becoming and looking more and more like your parents. You know, I look in the mirror and I see my dad and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know. And so that process goes on for the rest of your life. You continually grow to become like your parents. Well, should it surprise us that as we grow personally and spiritually with the help of the Holy Spirit, that we begin to look more and more like Jesus Christ? That's the point. We grow to look like Him. We begin to, to think and talk and act like Jesus. 
Now, taking on the nature of Christ in this way uh, is, is often referred to as bearing the fruit of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul framed it this way in, in his letter to the church in Galatia, chapter 5, verse 22. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I don't think that the list here is, is meant to be exhaustive or exclusive, but rather representative of the kind of person that God wants you to become as the Holy Spirit is working in your life. Lord willing, in, a, in another series later in this year, we're actually going to unpack this concept of the fruit of the Spirit. But the point is, this is the kind of person that the Holy Spirit wants us to grow to become. So we grow and mature as he helps us bear good fruit. And lastly, we grow and mature as he, he helps us uh, patiently endure tempting uh, and trials. Uh, let me read to you Romans, the third or the fifth chapter, where, where the Apostle Paul illustrates this when he says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials where we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope in salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Why? Because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And so God cares about the struggles, the tests, the trials that we're going through in life. And he helps us patiently endure and our character to grow. And he helps us grow as we make a unique contribution to his work in the earth. So, you know, it it goes without saying that there are no two people on the face of the earth that are exactly alike. Even identical twins aren't exactly identical. And so it is in the community, the end-time community of already not yet people, no two of us are exactly alike. Every believer, every single one of you who is a Christ follower, has a unique and significant contribution to fulfill in the plan of God. You have a unique destiny. You have a sphere of creation over which God has given you a rule, and only you can rule and reign and, and manifest God's kingdom in that sphere. And I believe that there's a direct connection between the filling of the Spirit and receiving God's direction and guidance about what that purpose in our life is. Now, next week, uh, Jeff Mills is actually going to unpack this text a little bit more for us when we look at the filling of the Spirit. But uh, in Ephesians 5, 17 to 18, the, the apostle says, Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do or what the Lord's will is. Don't be drunk with wine because that'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so there's this direct connection between being filled with the Spirit and discovering and fulfilling God's purpose and mission and destiny for our lives. It's as we're filled with the Spirit that we'll get clarity and understanding to actually what that purpose is. And so we are here being invited to lean into this continual discovery and fulfillment of the Lord's will. Hear and follow as we trust and obey. Hear and follow as we trust and obey. That's to be our life, enabled by the Holy Spirit. So that's a pretty broad and sweeping view of how the Holy Spirit transforms us. 
He makes us his children. He helps us grow and mature. And then the third, perhaps the, uh, uh, the, the one that's talked about more frequently, is that he empowers our ministry. Now, Jesus assured all of us as his disciples that the Father's promise in the coming of the Holy Spirit would adequately prepare them for ministry. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is what Jesus promised his disciples shortly before he left. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, through Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit is who helps us love and serve other people. That's what the text is telling us. He provides us spiritual gifts that empower our outreach, gifts of speech, tongues, and interpretation and prophecy, gifts of power like faith and miracles and healings, gifts of revelation, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, and prophecy. The Apostle Paul frames this help this way in Philippians 2, where he says, For God is working in you, giving you both the desire to obey Him and the power to do what pleases Him. So God is at work in you through the Holy Spirit, giving you a desire to cooperate with God and giving you the ability. Why? Because everything that happens in our life is enabled by the Holy Spirit. The ministry of any kind is a partnership. That's what we've been learning. Uh, it's a partnership between us and the Holy Spirit. He, uh, we, we know we can't do it without Him, and evidently He chooses, in a large part, to not do it without us. There's this divine partnership. And so he gives us both the ability and the, and the desire to love and serve others, sharing your faith, praying for the sick, meeting the needs of other people, extending your sphere of influence in your, in your uh, enlarging scope, your Jerusalem, your Judea, the, the region, your Samaria, the place you really don't want to go, and then your uttermost ends of the earth, where, where God may have you investing in a, in a global mission. And so the Holy Spirit is the agent that enables you to reach your three worlds for God. So let me wrap this up by saying it is the Holy Spirit that helps us live from beginning to end. That's his job. He helps us live as the already not yet people of God. He transforms and empowers us living in between the times of the inauguration and the completion of God's kingdom in this absolute unique time in human history. Now, any good Jew in Jesus' day would have understood that the gift of the Holy Spirit was the crowning evidence that God's end-time promise had arrived. Remember, we've studied last week the proclamation of the prophets and the promise of Jesus himself indicated that the age to come, the kingdom age, had arrived and that the giving of the Spirit was the certain evidence that the future had dawned, that the age to come was now among us, and it was its absolute guarantee of its final conclusion. The presence of the Spirit is God's guarantee that everything that He's promised will actually come to pass. And this twofold role of the Holy Spirit as evidence and guarantee are used in three more metaphors that I'd like to close with, just as a way of of, uh, of instructing us like how good God is to give us three reminders in these powerful word pictures. The first, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the seal. Ephesians 1.13, when you believed, 
you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now, in literal usage, a seal referred to the stamped impression in wax or clay that signified ownership. And it's as if, in that metaphor, God is telling us that the Holy Spirit is God's seal marking you as his own. That's good. The second is the Holy Spirit is referred to as first fruits. Romans 8.23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now, the first fruits were actually the first fruit, the first ripened grain or fruit or olives or whatever the, the crop might have been that were often then given as a sacrifice to God. The first fruits were a pledge that the rest of the harvest is coming and, and, and we're thankful for it. So this text is telling us that by God's spirit, we've already received our adoption into his family because we are children of God. And we are now waiting our final adoption in the redemption or the resurrection of our body. And the first fruits, our adoption as children into God's family, is proof and a pledge of our final adoption, our resurrection. That's good news, too. The Holy Spirit living in you is God's pledge that you're going to come up out of the grave if, if, if we die before he returns. That is good news. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the deposit or down payment. 2 Corinthians one twenty two. God has put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now, we all know that a down payment or a deposit is the first installment you pay of the total amount due. And what it means is, is that you're good for the rest of the money, right? No one makes a deposit uh, uh, like flippantly. You, you, you calculate, you think through, you, you measure, you, you, you pay the deposit because you're pledging that you're good for the rest of the cash. So when you're purchasing a home or a car, the down payment indicates to the person from whom you're buying that you're good for it. Well, in a similar measure, the Holy Spirit that we receive is God's down payment. It's his certain evidence that our future has already been determined, that the future age is broken into the presence. It's his guarantee that the future will realize everything he's promised about it. That is so good. To, it, it just it, 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 When we focus on that, it re- relieves us of doubt and fear and insecurity. So the Holy Spirit as seal, as first fruits, and as deposit, listen, are powerful, irrevocable, undeniable promises that God has made to to us as believers as already not yet people, that everything that God says about us as his children and the adoption into his family and the inheritance that we will receive as a joint heir with Jesus is already ours. All the help you'll ever need in life is already ours because of the Holy Spirit living in us. The resurrection and the glorified body in a life lived with God personally and directly and intimately in his presence on a renewed earth, it's already accomplished, and you can take it to the bank because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Friends, all the help we're ever going to need is already here in the Holy Spirit. Lord, this is really good news that everything you promise and everything you say is going to be ours someday is, is pledged through the Holy Spirit. It's your down payment. It's your guarantee that everything we read in the book, every promise we hope for, every need we have that you promised to meet is already ours in Christ. Everything we have 
you say is, is uh, everything you have is ours in Christ. Thank you. Forgive us, Lord, where we doubt or waver or wonder if we're really saved or like, will we ever make it in? Lord, these powerful promises from you should eradicate all of our doubt. So forgive us where we struggle and stumble and, and may the truth of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does just like come to full bloom in our lives. Lord, put your power on our, our, our gifts that we give to you today and in the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray. We want to be fully, completely yours. Continue your work of transforming and empowering us in your name. Amen.